Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hi friends, it's Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. (laughs) Back at you again, again, after a long hiatus. Seems like I'm doing this on an annual basis now, but uh, like I say, it was a weird fall. Last time I talked to you, I was going to start doing uh, readings of short stories on the podcast to break it up a bit. But it turns out that I've been, part of the reason I haven't been around the last uh, little bit is because, man, I, <laughs> it feels like I haven't had much time to do much of anything aside from work and the kids and, you know, general life stuff. Uh, but it hit me that I'm being stupid because I do have the audio rendition of Glimmervale number two, Outdweller, that Kevin did for me way back in the summer. And I said, oh, I'm not going to do that because it'd be, you know, one novel right after another and consequently haven't put anything up because again dumb so for the next few months here we're going to be doing outdweller for the next uh couple chapters a day couple chapters a week rather uh which will take since there's what 60 chapters in the book so um yeah next you know three four months to get done uh may accelerate the process but at least we'll be putting content out again and uh, you guys will be able to enjoy that. Meanwhile, uh, sitting back down and started today, a uh, long time delayed start on Glimmervale 6. I uh, intended to do that last fall, but again, I, well, no excuse. Um, as well as I have uh, a whole bunch of short stories set in the Glimmervale universe that I have uh, finished and just haven't put out there yet, which I'll be going on this weekend. I've got cover art for everything, cover art, and they're all edited and compiled. I just hadn't done it, and I'm going to uh, put those out this weekend too. So a bunch of real stuff happening uh, now and uh, in the future. Uh, so sit back, relax. This is Kevin Sapp doing the reading. He's a great uh, uh, audio narrator, and I'll talk to you on the flip side after chapter two. SSN Storytelling presents Outdweller, Glimmervale Chronicles No. 2, by Michael Kingswood. Narrated by Kevin Sapp. 1. Fresh Kill Balin unstrung his bow and shoved it over his right shoulder, under the strap of his backpack, then crouched down and gathered the spoils of the day's hunt. It had taken a while to dress out the buck, and he would lose the light soon. It was well past time to get back home. Ilsa would begin to worry if he tarried too much longer, to say nothing of the scolding she would unleash if he caused dinner to grow cold. He smiled at the contradiction in her possible reactions, and he had seen them both before. But then that was the essence of woman, was it not? Contradiction. The buck was heavier than it looked, and it took a moment to get it settled over his left shoulder and balanced well. Balin adjusted his brown hunting cloak a bit so that it settled better over himself. Summer was coming to a close, and the evening's chill had grown bitter over the last week. Then he set off down the hill toward town. 
The northern slopes of the mountains surrounding Glimmervale were covered in dense evergreens, and he had to weave his way through a seeming maze of tree trunks as he made his way back toward Lake Glimmermere and Lyttelton. Many a man with limited experience had gotten lost in these woods, called the Glamourwood by the locals. Some of the more gullible townsfolk told tall tales of spirits living amongst the trees. So, with the exception of logging expeditions that never went in further than the edges of the forest, and outdoorsmen like Balin, most people from Lyttelton and the town's surrounds did not venture here. Which suited Balin just fine. Most people were not worth dealing with, and the fewer who came here, the more likely he was to be able to enjoy the woods in peace. And it made the venison more rare in town, which meant he could charge more for his take. Balin's smile grew a bit more broad at that thought. The shadows were growing long now, as the sun made its way to its resting place in the east, below the ridges of the Saddleback Mountains. Off to the right, a night thrush called out, breaking the silence with its ululating chirp. Balin quirked an eyebrow. It was a bit early to hear that particular breed up and about, but the early bird gets the worm, or something. He descended further, moving carefully to avoid tripping in the elongating shadows. After about a quarter of an hour, he stopped for a moment. The buck was heavy. That was good, made for more meat, but it was growing uncomfortable carrying it as he was. The muscles in his left shoulder were beginning to shout in protest, and he felt a cramp coming on. Grumbling to himself, Balin rolled his right shoulder and shoved the bow further down. Then, with a huff, he shifted the buck over to his right and rebalanced himself before heading off again. A few paces later, a snort from off to his left stopped Balin in his tracks. What was that? He turned his head, peering around carefully and trying to ignore the sudden whisper of alarm that had begun to take shape within him. He had never heard a sound like that out here before, and he had tracked or hunted just about everything that lived in these woods at one time or another. The snort came again, a bit louder this time. With it came a strange odor that seeped into the normal scent of fallen pine needles like a bit of dye dropped into a cup of water. He almost had not noticed that it was there at all, subtle as the new scent was. Sharp and tangy, with an unpleasant undertone, like something rotten. Balin scowled, that whisper becoming more like a person speaking in a normal tone of voice now. He shivered from a surge of adrenaline. Something was not right here. He stood there for a long several moments, his free left hand resting on the grip of his long hunting knife, where it was sheathed on his hip. His left was not his best hand, but he was not completely inept with it. And, right then, the feel of the weapon in hand was all that mattered. The odor grew stronger, and a branch snapped somewhere behind him. Balin turned quickly. The buck slid off his shoulder and landed on the ground with a muffled thud, but he paid it no mind. He squinted, trying to see what was out there, but the light was going fast, and here, beneath the canopy of the trees, it was already getting on toward twilight. He saw nothing, but that was no comfort. Something was out there. Something foul. Calm down. You're not some tenderfoot out in the woods for the first time and scared of his own shadow. It's just a hog. The thought was logical, but Balin's instincts rejected it out of hand. No hog ever smelled like this. He looked around for another minute or so, the strange odor growing steadily stronger the entire while, but still saw nothing. Neither was there any other sound besides the tree limbs stirring in the breeze and the pounding of his own heart. It was nothing. He just stumbled a bit too close to the remains of some predator's kill. And speaking of which, he had his own kill to take care of, and it was well past too late to be out in these woods. Balin crouched back down and maneuvered the buck back onto his shoulder, his left this time. Straightening, he turned back toward town. 
and came face to face with something right out of his nightmares. His scream, loud and terrified, echoed through the woods for a long several seconds, before it abruptly cut off in a strangled gurgle. Then, all was silent. Two. Breaking Fast Julian spat the last of his teeth-cleaning solution into his little washbowl, then straightened and smirked at himself in the mirror. He had almost become civilized. He took a moment to lace up his boots. Brown leather, weathered and comfortable, that came almost to his knees, then pinned his badge of office, a silver fist grasping a set of scales, onto the breast of his dark green tunic and strapped on his sword belt. A moment later, he was out the door, ready to face another day as the Hammer of Justice. Or, more likely, the solver of middling disputes. As he pulled the door to his small flat, shut behind him and locked up, Julian reflected that life as Constable of Lyttelton was not quite what he thought it would be. Hardly surprising, considering how he and Raedric came into the job, but still, he had expected a bit more excitement, more challenge. In retrospect, he should have known better. Lyttelton, though prosperous, was not a large town. When the merchant caravans were not in town, and they were few these days, only a few hundred people, maybe a thousand tops, lived in the town proper. That did not make for much in the way of crime, at least among the locals. The rest of the Vale held probably double that number, but they were spread around enough that Julian hardly ever interacted with them. For the most part, they took care of matters that needed taken care of themselves, and resented having their business butted into. So Julian's days mostly consisted of sitting in the constable's office and making sure the place was kept up, making a stroll or two around the town and checking in on the various businesses and residents, and preparing the weekly report to Mayor Brimley. Hardly the epitome of excitement. But, then again, it could be worse. A lot worse. Julian had seen more than his fair share of action, and, for lack of a better term, excitement, in the army, on the front lines. Though it was more like moments of sheer terror between weeks of absolute boredom and frivolous make-work. The quiet life here in Lyttelton was quite an improvement from that. A narrow set of stairs led from his flat's doorway to the ground floor below. Julian took them two at a time, and emerged a moment later onto the street outside. His flat rested on the second floor of a small building on Cannery Street, two blocks from both Main Street to his right and Lake Glimmermere, with its multitude of fishing docks, to his left. The first floor of his building was dominated by his landlord's canvas shop, which supplied sails and other gear to the fishermen on their boats. Master Feldman did a steady business from what Julian could see, which explained why he lived in a good-sized house on the west side of town instead of in the flat above his shop, and why the rent on the flat was so reasonable. Or it could have been Julian's status as a genuine local hero that lowered the rate, but he doubted it. Julian turned right toward Main Street, but took the first right and walked several blocks down until the Orlock came into view. Two stories tall and impeccably kept up, the inn had quickly become Julian's favorite supplier of drink, food, and company. He wasted no time, but strode quickly up to the main entrance and stepped inside. As always, it took a moment for his eyes to adjust to the relative gloom of the Orlock's taproom. The windows were few, and draped, letting only a small amount of sunlight within. Instead, oil lamps on sconces around the room lent a dim, flickering glow to the place. When it got colder, they would be augmented by fires from the twin fireplaces in the corners to his right and left, but for now, the fireplaces were empty, barren. A long bar stretched along the length of the wall to his right. The remainder of the room was filled with tables, most of them unoccupied at this early hour. A staircase in the rear corner led up to the rooms on the second level, mostly unrented at this point, unless Julian missed his guess, 
It had been some time since a caravan, or any travelers, had come through the Vale. A set of swinging double doors at the rear led into the kitchens, and off in the rear right lay a less obtrusive doorway that led out to the lower-level privy. It almost felt like coming home. Julian sidled up to the middle of the bar, where a woman of late middle years, dressed in a simple brown dress and a white apron, was wiping down the taps with a pristine white rag. He had never seen Molly ever use a dirty rag for that job. He supposed the dust was likely too scared to come anywhere near her bar, as much of a neatnik as she was. Molly flashed a warm smile at Julian as he settled down onto one of the stools lining the bar. You're late, she said. Julian snorted. It's not yet eight o'clock. He glanced aside, toward the mantel overtop the fireplace on the right, where a large wooden clock ticked away the day's hours. The gods alone knew where Molly acquired the gold to afford something like that. She sure was not telling. Molly shook her head in response, then pulled a plate that was covered by an off-white cloth napkin out from where it had been resting below the bar. She slid it across the polished wooden surface toward him. This has been growing cold for ten minutes, she said, and quirked an eyebrow at him. You're late. Julian could only spread his hands helplessly and give her an abashed smile. There really was no other response. She had him cold. Molly looked gravely at him for a few seconds, then chuckled and turned away, toward where a pitcher that was beating with condensation sat next to the taps. She grabbed a goblet from a shelf above the bar and filled the goblet with a dark fluid from the pitcher, then set it next to the plate, along with a fork and knife. Eat up! Yes, ma'am, Julian said, inclining his head in supplication. He whipped the napkin off and revealed his breakfast. Lightly fried fish bits, fresh caught from the lake, of course, alongside finely chopped and baked potatoes and a hard-fried egg. Combined with the cold-brewed tea in the goblet, it was everything his belly needed to be happy for a good long time. Julian considered for the hundredth time that it would be better to eat slowly, savor every morsel. Somewhere in the back of his head he heard his mother's voice saying that was more healthy, or something. But in the end, the rumbling of his stomach won out, and in the space of just a few minutes half the food on his plate was gone. It was beyond delicious, as always. It pained him for a second that so little remained to eat. And then he set to it again. Molly spoke again at some point, but he missed what she said, so engrossed was he in the joy of a breakfast well-crafted. Eh? Julian managed after swallowing. Molly rolled her eyes. I said, has Ilsa Rorikson come to see you? Julian raised an eyebrow and took a drink of tea to give himself time to think. Rorikson, who was... Ah, the woodsman's wife. Her face came into Julian's mind. Round, just past homely toward cute, not showing nearly the amount of care lines one would expect from a woman her age, with sharp green eyes and a narrow nose beneath light brown hair. He had only interacted with her and her husband a couple times in the months since he and Raedrick took over for the late constable. They seemed decent enough, if a bit standoffish. Should she have? Molly pursed her lips slightly. She was in here late last night, looking for Balin. Caused a bit of a fuss. Julian raised an eyebrow. So? Apparently he didn't come home last night. Ilsol but accused Helena Winslow of helping his sister steal him away. Oh, brother. Another one of those problems. Julian sighed and dropped his fork onto his plate, the metallic clank making a fine counterpoint to the annoyance surging within him. I'm not a bloody marriage counselor, he muttered, scowling. Molly smirked back at him. Sure you are. Goes with that fancy pin you wear around. She gestured toward his badge of office. Julian met her gaze levelly for a moment, 
then groaned and picked his fork back up. He went back to shoveling his breakfast into his mouth, the succulent flavors suddenly tasting a bit more bitter than normal. It was going to be a bad day. He could see it already. Okay, so two chapters in. Hey, welcome back to the Glimmervale world. Now, I did uh, just notice as I was looking back through the, the video from earlier that I misspoke. There's not 63 chapters in this book. There's 36. A little dyslexia. And I was thinking of the Pericles conspiracy. Uh, so it'll take about 18 weeks at two chapters a week to get through all this. So do the math. That's a little bit more than about four months. So that'll give uh, you guys some content. Give me time to... Um, write more without having to worry about recording for a while and life is good. Um, but because I'm lazy, I'm not going to go back and record the video to correct my little misspoke there because yeah, why would I, I corrected it here. Uh, anyway, I hope you guys like the opening to this book. Uh, I like Outdweller a lot. Um, I like all these Glimmerville books, obviously, cause I wrote them, but because I think they're charming and fun and also just they're quick and actiony and character good characters and uh, i like outdweller because uh uh the thing i i expanded I expand the magical side of the universe a bit more and introduce a couple of interesting characters that i think you'll enjoy um yeah so come back next week for the next couple chapters or just go buy the book if you haven't already buy the book buy the other book you can get them all from my website ssnstorytelling.com print audio and ebook now you can also go to Amazon and all those other places, but I get less money if you go to them. So come to me. I get more money. And uh, yeah, life is good. Um, otherwise, come back next week for the next couple chapters. Spread the word. Tell all your friends and neighbors to come check out what we're doing because it's awesome, even though I had a gap there. Um, the gap is now closed. And we're pressing on. Talk to you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>